Okay, good morning, Gateway family. It is great to see you on this rainy morning. As you're coming in, if you'll make your way to find you a seat, we are so glad that you're here with us today. For those online watching us, we're grateful that you're joining us as well. Just several announcements for us just before we kick off the service this morning. First of all, a reminder to those coming to Discover Gateway at my house today. This is, it is already filled up, so if you're not signed up, we don't have any more room today. We'll do another one soon, but let us know of your interest. But for those coming, you should have directions, should have information. Check your email. If not, come by me after the service, and I'll get you pointed the right direction. Also, after the service today, there is a missions interest lunch. Taylor Fox, Taylor and Sarah shared about two weeks ago about what they're doing in France with the Navigators and their work with college students. If you want to learn more about what they're doing, get a chance to get to know them. They're leaving to go back to France this week. And so if you want a chance to connect with them before they go, there is a free pizza lunch in the gym after the service today. Now, if you've not signed up yet, it's not too late to plan to join us. Alicia's ordered some extra pizzas, so you're welcome to just stop by the gym afterwards. But after the service, just head to the gymnasium for a chance to interact over lunch with Taylor and Sarah and hear more about what they are doing. Also, Taylor and Sarah have left some prayer cards. So I'd love everyone to pick up one of these today. Stick this on your fridge so you can be praying for them and their work with the college students in France. Their prayer cards are on the table in the back as you go out, or if you're headed out that direction, they're on the table across from the restroom. So grab one of their prayer cards before you leave today. Now, ladies, you should have received an email this week about discipleship groups. We are so excited. Women's discipleship groups for the fall semester are starting in just a few weeks, and we want you to sign up and be part of that. If you did not receive that email, please let us know so we can get you information when it comes out. But if you missed it, you can go to the website. Just go to gatewaybaptist.com slash blog slash d-groups. And there's information about our women's discipleship groups. The sign-up deadline is this Friday. So if you've been thinking about it or praying about it, you need to sign up by this Friday to be part of those ladies' groups. Men, we have an opportunity for you. That's this upcoming Saturday. It is a Paul Tripp simulcast on Men of Faith. And so I hope you'll join us. I'm excited about this simulcast. It's just three hours, but it's to help us go deeper in what is our responsibility as men. And so I hope you will be part of this. Dads, you're welcome to bring your sons with you. This is open to any age. And so you're welcome to bring your boys with you to this, whether they're elementary or teenager or college students or grown sons as well. You're welcome to bring them with you. We'll close out with lunch, so it will not just be us staring at a screen the whole time. We will have a session, then we'll break into small groups, talk about it, have another session, break into small groups, do that three times, and then close with lunch together. So this Saturday, 9 a.m., there's no cost. We do need you to sign up, so visit the website to sign up. Also coming up this next weekend, not today, but a week from today, is a bridal shower for Abigail Boyd. Abigail and Jeffrey are engaged, and they're getting married not too long. And so um, there's a bridal shower for her coming up at Arrowhead Country Club a week from today at 2 o'clock. There's details on our Gateway Community Facebook page, or see Martha Gibbons. Is Martha in the room right now? Where's Martha? Wave your hand if you're back there. Yeah, there's Martha right there. So see Martha right there in front of the cross aisle if you'd like to know more about it. But details is on the Gateway Community Facebook page. Page. One more announcement for us, movie night coming up in just a few weeks on Labor Day weekend, Sunday, September 4th. We're going to show in here the movie Sabina, Tortured for Christ. Now, I saw this when it came out, and it's a powerful movie of faith during the Nazi years. of someone who walks with Christ and made a difference during that period. If you've not seen it or you want to see it again, it'll be 6 p.m. on Sunday, September 4th. There will be limited child care available. We'll be sending you details about how to request child care. But otherwise, it's a free event. Hope you'll come watch that movie with us and be encouraged and your faith. Now that movie's kicking off an event that week called the Sing Conference. The Gettys, if you're familiar with Keith and Kristen Getty and a lot of their modern hymns and music, we sing a lot of the Getty stuff here. They host an annual conference in Nashville called the Sing Conference. And we are simulcasting the Sing Conference here at Gateway. So you don't have to be a musician or in the praise team, but if you're interested in coming any of that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to hear the Gettys, and they have speakers like John Piper and a lot of other speakers that you're familiar with who are encouraging us in worship of God, 
That's going to be here at Gateway Simulcasted with no charge on that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So if you can only come to part, that you're welcome to do that on Labor Day. Or if you're off work Tuesday or Wednesday and want to come to any of it, see Justin for details. And he'd be glad to let you join the praise team and being here for the Sing Simulcast. Okay, last announcement for the morning. Amy Lynn Blake, where are you? Amy Lynn, come on up here. Kevin and Amy Lynn are coordinating our greeting ministry and helping us grow in hospitality and welcoming people. And so she's going to give you an update about greeting ministry on Sunday mornings. Good morning. Um, just wanted to give a quick update with the greeter team and um, have an announcement and request. Um, so we've put together a fantastic greeter team. Um, there are 18 of us at this point, and you will see us around with our name tags. Um, there's four, four locations, this door, back by the kitchen, sound booth, and then where I was. And so we're not here just to say, hey, welcome, come on in. We're also here for um, helping seating, because once we stand up, y'all, we can't see any seats. And so people kind of walk in and go, oh. so we're looking, looking for empty seats. Um, answer any questions, give directions, pass on prayer requests, connect people within our church, or connect with an elder if needed. Um, we also, so our announcements and our requests, um, there's two rows over here on this, on the, by this door. We want to save those for people that are coming late, for visitors, so that we're not having to search for a place to, see, to sit people that come, come in late. So if you will not use those two rows, if at all possible. Also, the hardest request of all, if people will move forward. And in, there's also seats that we can find more readily to put visitors. So um, I think that's everything. Um, thank you. Thanks, Amy Lynn. Yes, yeah, so if anyone wants to be brave, we do always have open seats in the front. And the back fills up first. This is a Baptist church, right? But if any of you be willing to move to the front to free up seats for guests in the back, and like she said, just if you come sit on Sunday mornings, sit towards the middle to free up seats. It will help. Once we do stand to sing, it's hard for our guests to find where open seats are. But we appreciate what Kevin and Amy Lynn are doing to help us welcome people on Sunday mornings. Once we focus our mind on the Lord, can I ask you to stand? I want to read from Psalm 73. We're going to begin singing this morning the song, Give Me Jesus. This is a, obviously a praise to God, but it's also a prayer. We're asking God to shape our hearts to believe what we are singing. So I hope these are not just mere words for us. We're going to sing this world, take this word, this world, my God is enough. This comes from Psalm 73. Here, this is from one Asaph Psalms. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's delight in the Lord as we sing to him this morning.
take the world.
judge No holy judge Here is my heart What can I say to you? Where could I run? How could I hide? Darkness is dead you The heart of a man is amazed within So come like the way illuminates sin Nothing's concealed, all is revealed Jesus I yield to Judge of the secrets of the hearts of men, and here I surrender and humbly repent. You've conquered my soul, now be its defense. of the secrets of the hearts of men and I was condemned under your law rightly I stood accused and I felt my need my conscience agreed judge the ones who fall I know in my heart I'm just like them all and I will confess my righteousness Jesus must rest in you judge of the secrets of the hearts of See 
Please be seated. We'll pray together. This is from Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 7. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God and, the ho- and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him t- return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And Lord, as we sing, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, And God, we hear those words of the gospel and proclaim them. Lord, we are so grateful that you have made a way for us to come to you. So we want to come to you with open and humble hearts to seek you while you may be found and call upon you while you are near. We want to forsake our ways and forsake our unrighteous thoughts. And we want to return to you and that you may have compassion on us because you have abundantly pardoned us by the death of Christ. Thank you, Lord. And that drives our worship and it drives our prayer as we come before you knowing your love and compassion for us. And we bring these requests to you as a means of surrendering to your will, to surrendering and saying that we do not know what to do, but God, you do. We don't know how this all is going to work out individually and collectively, but we know that you do. And we know that your work is continuing to go and to do, it, to do what you want to do across the world. So, Lord, we lift up our college ministry as our students are coming back to campus and adjusting back to the regular uh, schedule this year. Lord, as they are working through this semester, God, give them a sense of what it means to glorify you in their studies and their activities and that they would have a perspective that you have called them to their college campuses to be ministers of the gospel, that they would be bold and sharing with the folks that you've put near them. We are grateful for the opportunity to pray for various ministries across our city. And so we lift up the Montgomery Baptist Association's food bus ministry and Jeremy Lynch as he leads in taking food and the gospel to the poor. God, we know that the poor are among us even here in our city. And Lord, thank you for this ministry that we're out, we support. And we pray for Jeremy as he continues to lead out in that. Pray, that, pray for open doors. And we pray for continued support for them. We pray for Vaughn Forest Church just down the road from us and Pastor Adam Bishop there. We pray that you would strengthen him, strengthen his leaders there as they continue to hold out the truth to their people and to their community. Lord, we pray for our president. We pray for our federal government leaders as they carry the weight of leading our nation. We pray that you would give them humble hearts that desire to serve you and to serve the people that are in their charge. And Lord, we want to lift up Cameron Davis, who's a missionary in Santiago, Chile. 
He just completed his formal language study, and he's trying to make connections through the universities there. We pray for open doors for the gospel to go forth. And Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to give back what is already yours and what you've called us to steward in terms of our resources. Lord, you've called us to give them back to you as a means of supporting your kingdom and as a means of worship. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you would bless the tithes and the offerings as a, as a means of worship today and a means of support. And finally, we pray for Grady this morning as he shares. God, thank you for your word. We pray that you would give us a hunger for it and that you would bless him this morning as he shares it. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so for kids' worship, grades one through four, you guys are coming with me over to the gym. Parents, you can pick up uh, your students at the, at the, in the gym building. You'll see us in the gym when you walk in after the service is over. Thanks, Jeff. In first to fourth grade, <clears throat> hello, Mr. Jeff. And while the kids are running to kids' worship, I want you to find first Peter in your copy of God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 1. Last week, we came to the second command in Peter's letter. If you remember, the first 12 verses are his greeting and his introduction, and there's no commands in that first section of the letter. It's just his description of God's grace at work in our lives. And then last week, we came to, or two weeks ago, we began the body of the letter, and then we saw the first two commands of it. And last week, we saw the second command was that we were to be holy in all of our lives. We were to be holy now, let me just remind us of the definition of holiness as it comes to how we as believers seek to live it out. We said that holiness was being set apart for God and being set apart from sin. So it was twofold. They were being set apart from the sins in our life, and we're doing that to be set apart to God for His glory and for His honor. Now, last week we saw that there was a real danger we face, and that it's easy to not be conformed to Christ. It's easy to not pursue holiness. It's too easy to be conformed to our old Nature And the reality is this week, every single one of us has sinned. I have sinned and you have sinned. There's been things in each of our lives where we've been conformed to the passions of our former ignorance instead of being conformed to Christ. I've seen it before, but let me remind us of this reality. First John chapter 1, verse 10 reminds us of the truth of our struggle here. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Friends, none of us can claim sinlessness this week. None of us can claim sinlessness any day. Our lives are plagued full of sin each and every day. But friends, we need to move beyond the general acknowledgement that I sinned this week and you sinned this week to ask much more specifically, to take time to ponder and go, how have I sinned this week? How have you sinned this week? You know, we live in a really busy culture and very busy lives, and I think one of the lost things for us in that is that we struggle to pause and reflect. We struggle with quiet and introspection. We struggle to even take time to pause and go, how have I offended God this week? How have I sinned against God this week? But let me remind us in light of our struggle with sin, the standard that God has given to us. This is what we saw last week. So 1 Peter chapter 1, look at 14 to 16. This is God's standard for our lives. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am am holy. And friends, we've all fallen short of that in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, in our interactions with others this week. But see, there's not only a danger in us falling short of that standard, there's a real danger in us not only falling short, but excusing our sins and excusing our sins in spiritual terms. 
There's a danger in us not just sinning, but there's a danger in us excusing our sins, justifying our sins, and doing so in spiritual terms. What do I mean by that? Well, have you ever sinned and rationalized it thinking, it's okay, God has forgiven me for it? Or it's okay, I'm under grace, not under the law. God has forgiven me for these sins. Well, yes, God has forgiven us for our sins, but friends, that should not be an excuse to keep on sinning. And we may not say those words, but often our lives indicate that we really feel that because we keep running back to the same sins thinking, oh, well, God is going to forgive me. Knowing that danger in our hearts, Peter is not yet done teaching on holiness in this letter. As we come to verse 17 this morning, we find an amazing perspective to help us reject the lie that, well, I'm forgiven, it's okay. He's going to help us grow in reflecting God's holiness through another truth about holiness this week as we come to verse 17. So we look at verse 17 this morning, be looking for what is the truth here that counters the lie that my sin is not that big of a deal? What's the truth he has for us to help us pursue Christ in holiness? So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, going to ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the word of God, his unchanging truth for us today. Just one verse this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Father, we are thankful for your word, and we're thankful for the parts of your word that are comfortable to us, and we're thankful for the parts of your word that make us a bit uncomfortable, and that we struggle with, and that push us beyond where we are, and so we're grateful for that. And Lord, as we come to this text today, and it's a harder text in some ways, we're grateful that you've given it to us, and we pray that it would come alive to us today, that your Holy Spirit would fill us, and would shape us, and mold us to help us pursue Christ-likeness by your grace in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So here's the truth I want you to see, and then I want to unpack this one verse this morning. Here's the truth for today. The privilege of knowing God and his grace does not lead us to excuse sin in our lives, but instead leads us to a holy fear of God. Friends, we have a privilege, a privilege of knowing God and knowing God's grace. But friends, that does not lead us, that should not lead us, that must not lead us to excusing sin in our life, justifying sin in our life, thinking I'm okay, I'm forgiven, it does not lead us to looseness with our sin, but knowing God and knowing God's grace leads us to tackle our sin with seriousness because it gives us a holy fear of God. The privilege of knowing God and his grace does not lead us to excuse sin in our lives, but instead leads us to a holy fear of God. Now, friends, I understand that truth makes some of us uneasy. When we start talking about God commanding holiness, in particular, we start talking about the fear of of God that can stretch us some, and that is good for us. Friends, that is why we study verse by verse through books of the Bible, because it makes us come to texts like this. It's probably not in the regular devotional book we picked up this week, right? This takes us to things that are not in our comfort zone, but they're so good for us as we wrestle with the commands to holiness and we wrestle with the fear of God and what that means. Friends, we want to know God for who he is, not for how we want him to be. And so we dig into verses like this to help us understand God's self-revelation of himself and his expectation of us as his followers. And again, here today, I want you to see the privilege we have of knowing God and knowing his grace. What we love to talk about so much does not lead us to excuse sin, to justify sin, to trivialize sin. Rather, it leads us to a holy fear of God in our lives. Let's unpack that this morning. The starting point here is once again that we do, in fact, know God. We do, in fact, know his grace. And friends, I hope that is your starting point. I hope that is your confidence that you know that you know Christ in a personal way. Now remember, Peter here is writing to people who do know Christ. This is a letter written to believers. It is a discipleship letter here to help them stand firm in God's grace. Go back to the very beginning, 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That is a greeting to believers. This is to those who know Christ already. And remember, Peter's already affirmed them for their walk with Christ. He's affirming them for their faith. Go down to verse 8. We saw this several weeks ago. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. He is affirming them because once we've experienced God's saving grace, verse 1 and 2 there, we now, by God's transforming grace, do what verse 8 is, not to get to God, but because we already know him. When we have saving grace, we have transforming grace, and it does, in fact, transform them. And so he has already affirmed them for their walk with Christ, and he does that again today. Go to verse 17. And if you call on him as father. Now, let's just stop right there. This word call is present tense. That means it's ongoing. If you call and you keep on calling on him as father. He's describing here calling in a way of meaning to ask for help. He's using this very similar to having faith or believing, saying, God, I can't get to you. Help me. Lord, I can't be saved. Help me. He's saying you're calling out to God and you're still calling out to God. He's describing their faith and affirming them in it. He's saying you've trusted God and you're still trusting God. You've believed in him and you're still believing in him. You've experienced his grace and you're still experiencing his grace. You know him as father and you still know him as father. Now, if he's affirming them, why does he have the if there? There's the big conditional clause there. And if you call on him as father. Well, friends, he's already clear in who he's writing to. He's affirmed them for their love, their faith, their joy. He's affirmed them for their obedience in Christ. He's affirmed them for God's sanctifying work. And so why the question? The question here is to make them pause and think. He's about to come on a really, really hard truth. So he's giving them kind of a time out here in the middle of this letter to say to them, I'm not crowding crazy out, but remember the fact that you have called upon God. Take time to ask yourself the question, do I know Christ? And the people he's writing to say, yes, I do know Christ. He's pointing them back to that foundation because what follows is hard and it's tough. So he gives them a question to make them stop and think and not just to fly on through They have the question, am I calling on him? Well, yes, I am calling on him. Am I believing in him? Yes, I am believing on him. And with that truth of God's grace in their minds, he now can come to the truth that follows. And what is the hard truth that follows? Well, it's the third command of the letter here, and that's in verse number 17. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, now here's the command, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Conduct yourselves with fear. Now, we've seen this before. To conduct yourselves means to live in a certain way. So the command now has to do with how we live our lives, what we think, what we say, what we do. All that's in view here. Conduct yourselves in a certain way. And what is the way we're to conduct ourselves? What he just said, verse 15. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. There's not an area of our lives that the grace of God should not be penetrating and changing in our lives, that all parts of our lives would be growing more and more and reflecting the character, the nature of God in our lives. This is to be doing this in here during the time of our exile. It's just a metaphor we've seen before for our Christian life. The more we grow in godliness, the more we grow in reflecting God's holiness in our life, the more we will find ourselves at odds with a world who lives very differently from us. So he's reminding us that we're strangers in the world because God is changing us. So how do we live in holiness? How do we live different? Well, back to verse 17. He tells us the attitude that we must have if our lives are going to be different, if we're going to be elect exiles. He says in verse 17, conduct yourselves with fear. 
Conduct yourselves with fear. Now, what in the world does that mean? Because honestly, friends, we come to this and either we get stumped by it or we just kind of gloss over this and we don't take time to dig in. What does it mean to live in fear? Well, to answer the question of what he means here, let me tell you first what it is not. Let's start there before we say what it is. There's two things that it is not. First of all, this is not fear of the wrath of God. This is not fear of condemnation. Now, how do we know that's not the fear here? Because of the other counsel of Scripture. First John chapter 4 Verse 18, you probably know this verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So when we come to hear that we're to live in fear, we're to conduct ourselves in fear, it's not talking about fear of wrath, fear of hell, fear of condemnation. Why do we not have to be fearful of that? Because God's perfect love, the love of Christ, has cast it out for us. What we've already sung about this morning, Christ on the cross took the wrath of God that should have been put on us. It has already been dealt with. It's already been paid for. Therefore, we do not have to fear facing it ourselves. That's why Peter can tell us to have confidence as believers in eternity. Go back to verses 4 and 5. He's already told us to focus our minds on an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. If you know Christ, if you know his saving grace and you see it in the transforming grace at work in your life, you have nothing to fear of the wrath of God because Christ has already taken it for you and you have the confidence in what is to come. So as we go back to verse 17 this morning and we're told that we're to conduct ourselves, we're to live in holiness with fear, this is not fear of the wrath of God. But there's a second thing that it is not. And I must confess, when I started this week, this is what I thought this verse meant. And I got corrected this week as I kept digging in on this. I'm grateful for God stretching us and correcting wrong thinking. This also fear here is not what we call reverent fear. Okay, we talk about this in scripture. And so this is where I got stretched really hard this week by this text. This is not talking about reverent fear. Now, some, if you use the NIV, it actually translates it reverent fear here. That is speaking of this fear of not other types of fear, but this is a reverence towards God. Friends, that is a wrong translation for it. There is no Greek word for reverent fear. There's no Greek word for reverence inserted here. They added that because that's what they interpreted it to mean. That's not what the text says. Literally in the Greek here, it simply says, conduct yourselves with fear. Now, there's a danger in us thinking of this not in terms of fear, but thinking of this in reverent fear. The danger in this, and I love what Wayne Grudem said on this. He says, reverent fear is too comfortable for the American reader. Reverent fear is too comfortable for the American reader. Friends, we are too comfortable. We hear the word reverence and we kind of wipe our, the, our foreheads and we're like, I'm okay. And so we can talk all about reverence and awe of God and then run right back to our sin. It doesn't make us even bat an eye or stop and think. We've gotten too comfortable with the concept of reverence. Reverence and fear are closely related, but we've wettered it, wettered it down too much. So think of it this way. Imagine you go with me to Prevail downtown and get a good cup of coffee, my favorite coffee in town. You guys, for those coming to Discover Gate, we have Prevail coffee for you today, don't worry. So yeah, I right hear an amen down here. So you'll get you a good cup of coffee, but you pour out three-fourths, so you leave just a little bit of it, and you got to grab some Montgomery tap water, and you fill up your coffee cup with Montgomery tap water and a little Prevail coffee, right? No one in their right mind would do that because when it waters down, You've lost all the flavor. You've lost all the benefit of the caffeine, right? You've lost all the, the taste of it, and it is watered down and practically useless. Friends, that is what we've done in the modern culture with reverence of God. 
We've left just a little bit of what's the real thing there of reverence and awe, and we've watered it down with our own ideas of it so that we're really comfortable with it, and it's lost all of its kick, it's lost all of its force on this, and we've taken it to where it's pretty useless in our lives now. And so we talk all about, oh, yeah, yeah, I have, a rever- I have reverence for God, not fear, and then we run right back to that same sin again without it bothering us at Oh, friends, don't settle for watered-down coffee. Settle for the richness of what God actually has for us here, that we are to conduct ourselves in holiness with the attitude of fear. So, friends, what is this fear, then? If it's not condemnation, not fear of hell and wrath, if it's not just reverence and all, what is this fear about? Can I suggest this fear is three things? I think all of this is in view, and depending on who you read on this, some may emphasize different things of this, but I think it's all three of these things and what Peter's trying to get us to understand. He says, live with fear. Number one, is fear of what our sin actually does. It is fear of what our sin actually does. Friends, our hearts are so deceptive. We can justify our sins in so many ways and fail to see them the way God sees them, to fail to see what they actually do. And there's so many examples, but let me give you just a few to see, help you understand where I'm going with this. For example, there's many believers who struggle with what they watch online and the lie that they believe in that is, oh, this doesn't hurt anyone else. The sin doesn't hurt anyone else. is not that big of a deal. While it's wrecking their purity, wrecking their family, and wrecking the people that they're watching online. There's believers who struggle with their speech that's hurtful and divisive. And they believe the lie that, hey, that's just me. I'm, just, I'm a forward person. I just have to tell the truth. And people have to get used to me when in reality they're wounding other people and tearing down. There's believers who struggle to help other people in need and to, they believe, they believe the lie that I'm just too busy. I'm helping people in other ways. I don't need to get involved with that. Someone else will, and then someone goes without. There's believers who are failing to love their spouse well or disciple their children well, and they believe the lie of, oh, well, someone else will do it. The teachers will do it. The church will do it. And in the end, their kids have not been discipled. And friends, there's so many examples we can use, but I trust the Holy Spirit will help you see what it is in your own heart and what it is in my own heart. The point is our sin is not harmless like we tend to believe. Our sin hurts us. It hurts others and it offends God. James chapter 1 verse 14 <clears throat> reminds us of this truth. In James 1 14, we're told each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Now verse 15, the desire when it's conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. James kills the lie for us that our sin is not that big of a deal. Sin leads to destruction and it leads to death. And he then ends in verse 16, do not be deceived my beloved brothers. Friends, we can so easily be deceived and think our sin is not hurting others when it really is. I love what John Piper said on this particular verse. This really helped me in thinking through this this week. He said, there's a missing, there's a crucial missing note in modern Christianity. And one of the main reasons why the church is a carbon copy of the world, we think that grace means there's nothing to fear in our behavior. We think that grace means there is nothing to fear in our behavior. He goes and say, so the sanction of judgment has no place in our lives. And 1 Peter 1.17 is blanked out in our superficial adaptation to culture. But God is gracious and God calls us back today to fear the behavior that leads to destruction. As he said, we think that grace means there's nothing to fear in our behavior. And I think this is part of what Peter's calling us to here, to conduct yourselves with fear, to fear sin in our lives. Friends, sin in our hearts will destroy us. Sin in your heart will destroy you. Our sin will hurt other people. Our sin offends God. Our sin hurts our witness. Friends, Satan lies to us and tells us our sin is not that big of a deal. It's not going to hurt others. And in the end, it wreaks destruction everywhere. Please, please, we need to understand we must fear our own sin. So the question for us, Elida, is do we, do we fear what sin does to us? 
or if we become comfortable with it. As we think about areas where you've struggled, I think about areas where I've struggled this week, friends. Are we comfortable with our sin or do we fear the destruction our sin will cause to us and to others? Peter tells us to conduct ourselves with fear back in verse 17. So there's a second aspect of this fear, though, not just fear of what sin does. There's another part of this healthy fear that we're to have, and that's the fear of God's discipline for us when we sin. The fear of God's discipline for us when we sin. Now, remember, God is holy. We saw this last week. That means he hates sin. He doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't brush it under the rug. He hates sin. He's separate from sin. That means he hates sin in our lives, and he calls us to be holy like him. We've already read it, but go back to verse 15 this morning. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. So God hates it when we are not pursuing holiness in our life. Now, we are loved because we're in Christ, but he hates the sin of our lives. And friends, if we don't deal with our sin, he will. If we are a child of God and we belong to him, if we don't deal with the sin in our life that he hates, he will deal with it for our good and for his glory. See, this is both Old Testament and New Testament. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 5 and 6. In Deuteronomy 8, know then... Be confident, friends, in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you, his people, the ones he loves. Verse 6, he carries on. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. There's this correlation here that we have a healthy fear of God because we know that he will discipline us if we don't deal with the sin of our lives. The author of Hebrews, we don't know who that is, but the author of Hebrews addresses the same thing. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 to 10. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Verse 8, he says, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So just a quick pause here before we go on. Friends, if you say you're in Christ and you have ongoing patterns of sin and there's no conviction from God and no discipline from the Lord, it is a sober warning to us because God has promised that if we are in Christ, he loves us so much, he will not leave us lost in our sins and he will come after us and discipline us to change us for our good. If there is no discipline when we are living in patterns of sin, friends, there's a warning to us here that we are not children of God. Carry on though, verse nine, as the author of Hebrews says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us, his children, for our good. And here's why he does it, that we may share his holiness. What we just saw last week, be holy as I am holy, be holy as I am holy. He's now saying that I am so committed to you, my children, reflecting my holiness, that if you're not dealing with sins in your life that I'm showing you, I will now discipline you for your good so that you can better reflect my holiness. Friends, this discipline is not his wrath. This discipline is not punitive. This discipline is not God and his anger doing this. This is God and pursuing his glory, his holiness, making us holy as well. And though it is good, it is painful. The very next verse, Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Friends, we need to fear God's discipline with a holy fear, knowing it's not his anger, it's not him being punitive against us, but him and his goodness correcting us. And friends, it is painful, therefore it's good for us to fear God's discipline and to deal with sin in our lives now. So the question for us, do we have a holy sense of fear of God's discipline that makes us want to deal with sin before God deals with it? Because when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, do you understand that discipline comes if we don't deal with it? It gives you a holy sense of fear for God that makes you want to deal with your sin before he has to 
discipline you for it. So fear of what our sin does, fear of the discipline of God, but there's one more fear that I think is in view here. If we go back to verse 17, that we're to conduct ourselves with fear. Here's a third fear. It's the fear of giving an account before a holy God. The fear of giving an account before a holy God, friends. Even as believers, we will give an account before God. We will see God in all of his holiness. We will see God face to face, and we will give an account. Not an account of whether or not we get into heaven, not an account of our works to prove ourselves to God, but an account of what we did with what God has given to us. Peter references it here in verse 17. And if you call on him as father, notice this, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Remember, he's writing to believers here. You call on him as father, you know him, and this father judges you included impartially according to each one's deeds. This is reminding us that God does not wink at sin. He's not okay with it. And even though we have all eternity with him, though we stand forgiven in Christ, doesn't mean our sin is okay to him. One of the authors I read this week said it this way, the pagan life that God abhors will be no less abhorred if it is lived by one who professes to be a Christian. The pagan life that God abhors will be no less abhorred if it is lived by one who professes to be a Christian. And that is a sobering reminder that God is not okay with our sin. God loves us. He sent Christ to die for us. His wrath was poured out on Christ, not so we could continue in sin and rebellion against him, but so that we could be transformed and know him and reflect his glory in the world. Friends, God is not okay with the sins of our lives that we tolerate. And so scripture reminds us over and over that we will give an accounting before him of what we've done in our lives. Romans chapter 14, verse 12 is one of those many places. So then each of us, and it's written to believers, will give an account of himself before God. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 and 15. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. As we'll give an accounting of our lives before God, when we see God and his holiness, we will have to give him an accounting of our lives. Verse 17 reminds us again of that. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. So holiness grows in us, friends, as we develop a healthy fear of what our sin does, a healthy fear of God's discipline, and a healthy fear of having to see God face to face and answer for our rebellion against him. So how do we cultivate this type of holy fear? I know this is different than what we normally think of when we see the word fear in scriptures. So how do we cultivate this mindset? Go back to verse 13. He points out a few weeks ago. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Friends, the battle is won or lost and the mind. If we want to pursue holiness, I mentioned this last week and the week before, this is a battle for what we are filling our minds with. So let me give us three things that we can cultivate, three things we can focus on to help us grow in this holy fear of God. Number one, we remember the holiness of God. We take time to think about, to dwell on, to meditate on the holiness of God. Go back to verse 15. We've referenced it several times this morning. As he, God, who called you, his people, is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Friends, we need to think about, dwell on, meditate on the absolute holiness of God. And the only way we'll dwell on that, as we've seen in recent weeks, is we study Scripture. Because all throughout the Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, we see the holiness of God. Because as you, as you read the scriptures and you see people encountering the holiness of God, when they see the holiness of God, they don't run up to him and give him a big hug and sing everything is awesome, right? When they see the holiness of God, they fall on their face and they tremble. Friends, we need to be in scripture to see the holiness of God because it helps cultivate this healthy fear that we see here in 1 Peter chapter 1. So again, the question for us, 
I know I sound like a broken record each week, but are we taking time to read scripture? Are we taking time to run to it to see who God is? Not who we want God to be, but who he's revealed himself to be, a holy, just, righteous God. Remember the holiness of God. Number two, we need to remember the justice of God. Remember the justice of God. Justice is one of God's attributes, his characteristics. And friends, there's a lie that floats around in our culture that says in the Old Testament, God was a God of justice. In the New Testament, God is a God of mercy and grace. Friends, that is a lie from the pit of hell. God is unchanging. Scripture talks about that he's immutable. He does not change the same yesterday, today, and forever. God wasn't just one day and merciful the next. God is always fully just all the time. He's also fully merciful all the time. God is unchanging. His attributes are fully all of him all the time. And so God is both a God of justice and a God of mercy. Notice how these go side by side in this text. These are not opposite to each other. If you call on him as father who judges... He doesn't even put any gaps in here. The father who loves you and shown mercy to you is also the same father who judges and hates sin. The God who shows mercy still is a wrathful God. The God who has shown grace to you is still a God who demands justice because he is absolutely holy. Friends, we have such a tendency in our culture especially to pick and choose the parts of God's character we want. You heard me say before that our culture is obsessed with God's grace and his mercy and his love, and we almost totally abandon anything about his holiness, his justice, his wrath, and how he views sin. So we again run back to scripture to see his holiness, but also to see his justice, remember how he views sin. So friends, the question for us with this is, are we taking time to reflect on God's justice and eternity? Are we remembering when was the last time we paused and thought about what it'll be like to see God face to face? but to see God face-to-face -face realizing how much we have rejected him and offended him during our Christian life. So to cultivate godly fear in our lives, to not have that watered-down coffee, to have the strong, full flavor that God wants us to have, we ponder his holiness and we ponder his justice. But there's one more that we need to ponder, we need to think about, and that's the cost of our redemption, the cost of our redemption. Friends, Jesus on the cross is not a pretty picture in a kid's Bible. Jesus on the cross is not God going, look at how much I love you. Because Jesus on the cross is gruesome, it is bloody, because we see how God views our sin. We see what it took to deal with the sin of our lives, and there again we see the wrath of God. Friends, the cost of our salvation, Christ on the cross, reminds us how seriously God takes the sin that we trivialize. Please don't miss that. The Christ on the cross shows us how seriously God takes the sin that you and I tend to trivialize, justify, and rationalize in our life. Friends, Christ endured that agony because our sin was so offensive to God. We read it too often and we think about it often at Easter, but Mark chapter 15, verses 34 to 37 of what Christ endured. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all of eternity, Jesus felt separated from the Father because my sin, your sin, was placed on him and the wrath of God that we should have felt for all eternity is now placed on Christ. Verse 35, because some of the bystanders are hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah, verse 36. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put on the reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take it down. Verse 37. So Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. We see how offensive our sin is to God, that that is the cost it took to pay for it. Peter's going to point us to that. Look at verses 18 and 19 of our text. We're going to look at this next Sunday, but let's just go ahead and read ahead because it flows from it. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So, friends, again, the question was when we think about our redemption, 
Do we see what Christ did for us, and does that remind us how awful our sin is to God, or have we watered that down as well and trivialized our redemption? Friends, we need to dwell on the holiness of God, the justice of God, and the price of our redemption. Why? Because the privilege of knowing God and his grace does not lead us to excuse sin. Instead, leads us to a holy fear of God. So I have a question for us this morning before we close, and here's our question. Is your understanding of God's grace leading you to greater holiness because you have a holy fear of God? Friends, we talk a lot about grace here. I love grace here. We talk about grace upon grace all the time. We are people who received the unmerited grace of God. But friends, are we understanding God's grace, his goodness, his mercy, his love, those things we like to run to in such a way that it is producing in us transforming grace? Is it giving us strength to kill sin in our life because God is working? Is it giving us strength to have a holy fear of God? Friends, what is our thoughts of grace doing to transform us? Friends, I want you to reflect on that as we prepare to sing our closing song. I can just ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads as the praise team comes. And I want you to hear this passage in just a spirit of prayer and reflection. I want you to hear these verses together. I know I go slow through text and we look at a verse or two a week, but when Peter wrote this, this was one big idea. So just, I want you to listen to verses 13 and 19 in the spirit of prayer and reflection. Hear how all this flowed together, the way that first readers would have heard this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Just where you're seated with your eyes closed in the spirit of prayer, would you take a minute and reflect? Do you really know the grace of God? Grace that not only saved you from your sin, but that is transforming you today because God holds you and is pursuing you. take just a minute and to ask him for his transforming grace to work in you this week. We talk about all the time that he saves us and he transforms. Would you take a minute and ask him to give you that transforming grace upon grace, both to overcome sin and to grow your love and fear of him. just God, but Lord, we confess so often we don't take time to actually ponder that, to see how that shapes our lives. So 
Father, I pray this week that your Holy Spirit be at work in us. Give us that transforming grace to make us more and more like Christ, to be helping us reflect your holiness and your character through us before this lost and dying world. But you made it clear that is your will for us, that we are to be holy as you are holy. And Father, we fall so far short. So this week, would you increase our holy fear of you? Lord, to understand who you are, the God who we call upon. May we not treat that lightly. May we not trivialize that. May we not water that down. But I pray you would increase our understanding, our awe, our wonder, our fear, that we get to talk to the one who is the great I am, the holy one, the creator of all and our redeemer. Increase our understanding of that this week and let that transform us. We ask it all for your glory, for our good, and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing our closing song as we think about the blood of Christ that has done all this for us. Sing what can wash.
my pardon. This I see. And for my pardon, this I see. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. No precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Oh, no from Romans chapter 6 to us. I think we have it up on the screen. Romans 6 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I want you guys to answer that back. Romans 6, 2 to 4. We'll have it on the screen. I want you to say that. All. Here's the answer to our question. Let's say it together. By no means how can we Father, would you do that in our life this week in order to help us walk in newness of life where we cannot manufacture that, we can't produce that, we can't do that in our own strength. So we cry out in desperation for help. Transform us and change us. Help us walk in newness of life this week for your glory and for our joy. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family.